All right, welcome. Welcome, glad to have you guys with us. Yeah, wow. Oh man, hey look, my name is Jeff. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. If uh, this is your home church, you know that I've been out of the pulpit for quite a while. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been quite the journey with the vocal cord surgery. Uh, I'm back, but I've only been cleared really to kind of do uh, like a half sermon. My, my surgeon asked me at a meeting this past week, he's like, so tell me a little bit about your church so I can, you know, get you back into the game. He goes, do you preach like five or 10 minute sermons? Like how long is it? <laughs> and again, the laughter is from those who have been here before. Uh, so we won't be having three hour long sermons anymore. All right. Actually, we didn't, we didn't have those in the first place. Uh, but, you know, we try to communicate somewhere in the neighborhood of like 30, 35 minutes. And uh, we feel like that's like the right amount of time uh, for where we are and the audience that we, we attract. And it allows us to make sure that, you know, we don't uh, hopefully leave a lot of truths untied. We've got to give ourselves enough time to bring up the problem and drive home the solution. Uh, and so I've really only been cleared to communicate for about 15 minutes. And so Chris and I are going to be uh, kind of tag teaming it today. And uh, it's a joy, man, to serve with you. And yeah. thank you for stepping up. You know, we didn't know what this week was going to hold. And I find out on Tuesday, we got to tag team it. And Chris is like, I'm your man. Yeah. So, so can, it, can everybody you. just do this, practice this? So if, if Pastor Jeff gets a little too loud, just do this, you know, just bring, yeah, it, no. bring it down. No, I, already, <laughs> I already have one so-called friend that's out in the audience today that will tell me this. He'll be like, oh, keep okay. it shorter, keep it shorter. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's, it's cool to be here and get to hang out with you. Uh, I love that it's fall. How many are excited it's fall, the weather's changing, right? Come on. Yeah. Pumpkin spice lattes are flowing freely from the throne of God, right? And Husker football is on television. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's exciting. A great, yeah. great game yesterday. Little nervous. Everybody else, a little, little nervous, but excited for Husker football. Do you like football, by the way? <laughs> um, you know, honest, in all fairness, uh, I, I would go to your house if there was a football game. I, I may watch some, but I'm not really big into football. Like, I haven't watched a football game in years. Um, I'm really more of a hockey guy. I think that as a congregation, you know that about me, all right? I, I am all hockey, Chris. I'm all hockey. I'm not all football. But I'm not anti-Husker football. I want you to know that because if I was, then some of you wouldn't love me. <laughs> but you would rather watch a hockey game than a football game. Oh, yeah. I would much rather watch a hockey game. And part of the reason behind that is, has a lot to do with this new T-shirt I'm going to buy. Uh, it says this, if hockey was easy, they'd call it football. And so that's, that's kind of where I live, Chris. That's my preference, man. That's my preference. It might not be yours, but it is mine. And may, after this response, maybe I shouldn't buy that T-shirt. That's a real T-shirt. My T-shirt says, if people really loved hockey, they would, play, they would pay the players. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an inside joke that only two people got. So. Yeah, it's funny to me, and that's all that matters, right? <laughs> but to you, hockey is better than football. To me, football is better than hockey. Right. Talking right. about personal preference. Right, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're not going to talk about football and hockey all morning, but we, we are talking about the fact that each of us have these preferences. Right. Um, and these, these things can become truths. And those truths can become what identifies you. And that's kind of the culture and the age in which we live in today. 
And so that's really more so where we're going to go. Yeah, it reminds me of this story. My niece, and hopefully she's listening. Her name's Ava, my brother's daughter. They were visiting. She was at my house, and and we were talking about deer hunting, which, by the way, it's fall. It's about deer season. Right. And and I I love to hunt, so we were talking about deer hunting, and she was insistent that deer... Uh, deer do not grow antlers. Deer do not have antlers. So I told, you know, Ryan and Chloe, my kids, to take her out into the garage and show her this picture of one of the deer that I have on the wall, knowing that she would see the truth and come back in and be convinced of what is true. So Ava comes back in. She won't even make eye contact with me. And I'm like, so, so Ava, did you see the deer? And she looked at me and she said, that's not a deer. <laughs> and we... <laughs> We all, we died laughing, right? She, she has a little bit of a stubborn streak. She was insisting, insistent that her belief was true. And that's kind of what we're talking about, though. We're talking so far about some humorous things. We, we can do this with things that are far more important and have a far greater weight to them. Like, what is truth? What is morality? What, why do I exist? Why am I here? Who am I supposed to marry? Where am I supposed to live? And all these questions, if we start with ourself and what we believe, even if we're a Christ follower, we can get into this, right? We can get into this trap where we take this autonomous view and approach to life where I'm the starting point. My beliefs and desires, my nature and my nurture, right, determine reality and truth. And that's a big problem. Yeah, that's... that's that's exactly where we're at right now. Um, Shakespeare said this statement. He goes, to thine own self be true. Uh, I, I really believe that in the day in which we live right now, that that statement could actually be the, the cause statement or the mission statement of our culture. That where we are as a people, as a humanity, in, an, in our nation, we're at a place where whatever you think, Chris, is true, then therefore it is true. In fact, some philosophers have even referred to this time period in which we live in as the age of authenticity. The age of authenticity, which really, it says this, that um, you know, the desire for self-expression is off the charts right now. Um, to be this so-called authentic person is to be true to what I believe is truth, and then to express that truth no matter you know, what you think or what your opinion is, or even so how it affects you, right? So this age of authenticity, it, it, involve, it envelops that, but it has a lot more. Um, it's, it, it, it's like being authentic then gives you the license to express really what's ever inside of you. And by the way, there's nothing that you can do about it because you can't judge me because if you judge me based on the way I express the truth that I feel on the inside, then you're condemning me. You're taking away my freedom, right? You are filled with hate. You have no mercy. You have no grace. You're intolerant. You are narrow-minded because what I perceive as truth should be allowed to be expressed no matter how it affects you. Right. Now, this age of authenticity, this being authentic, it's brought about some really great things. There's some really good things with it, but then there are a lot of things that have become warped. And I think as you can see here, it, it's the kind of thing that obviously falls in conflict with God and with God's word, right? If, if really it is whatever, if truth has really become whatever you feel truth is, then that's going to clash with God's word because God's word says, look, it is truth and there is no other truth to, to exist, 
right? So that becomes a real problem. I think we see it even in our nation. Uh, in one, just let me give you one area, okay? Because there's like a gazillion of them right now. But one of them is uh, the current state of marriage uh, in, our, in our country. Marriage is no longer a biblical view of marriage. So it no longer follows God's rule of truth. We, we, somewhere along the way, humanity said there's a different truth to marriage than, way, than the way we've been living, which is a biblical worldview. And so we've changed that view. Whether you like it, you don't like it, whatever your opinion is, that's, that's the reality of where we're at. That is a slippery slope that is going to continue to erode away from the original truth. Because see, the truth is this, that once you cross over the line of biblical truth, it's a slippery slope that just keeps eroding away. So as an example, marriage. Marriage was under attack. No longer the biblical worldview, but now a secular worldview. The next thing that will come is, is even greater than what we've already experienced. I think the next thing you'll see in marriage as this truth that is perceived by humanity continues to erode the biblical truth is that you'll find it will be like, well, if, if a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman, then why can't three people marry um, each other? Uh, and you might go, that's crazy, Jeff. Like, that's far out there. I, I'm just telling you, it's right around the corner. And so many other things are right around the corner. And, and the reason for that is because we have abandoned the biblical worldview and we've misquoted scripture to justify my truth to now be my reality or to become basically what defines me. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that in scripture. I want to take you to Psalms 139. Let's look at Psalms 139 and then let's unpack it from the biblical view and then how we can distort it. So it says in 139, verse 13 and 16, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Now, let me just break this down for a second. <clears throat> if you have a biblical worldview, then you would look at this the same way that I'm looking at it today, okay? And if you don't, then just track with me on this, okay? But here's the biblical worldview. God created each of us. Each of you were created by God with a purpose, with a destiny, something in his heart that he, he had mapped out already. God made you and God made me wonderfully complex. Wives, that's part of the answer of why your husband is so crazy sometimes. <laughs> Husbands, that's why your wife is the way she is sometimes. We've been made wonderfully complex. And if my wife wasn't sick today, she would go, amen. So I did it for you, babe. But at the same time, we're God's workmanship, and that workmanship is marvelous. Just look at that specimen, yeah. right? <laughs> marvelous. Marvelous. That's a bit awkward, isn't it? I like it. <laughs> <laughs> that scripture goes on to say that God knew you before you were born. God designed your every day before you started your first one. Now, if you have a biblical worldview, then you would say amen to that, right? If you don't, then you wouldn't because you would go to a different point of view. 
I want you to listen to what, you know, a person that might live in this age of authenticity trying to express the truth that they're grappling with on the inside that has nothing to do with God's word, right, but yet still might believe that they were created by God. They might say that since God made me, that's why I am the way I am. I've always been this way. God made me this way. I was born this way. Maybe you've heard a statement like that, like, I was just born this way. And so they go, well, look, God created me. I'm complex. I'm his workmanship. I'm marvelous. He knows me before the beginning. Therefore, I am this way. Like this truth, this impulse inside of me that makes me want to act out, that makes me want to live different than what the Bible says, God put that in me. And it's easy for people to kind of drift to that idea. Even if they don't believe in God, they'll still say, I was born this way. Like, as an example, maybe I was born with this sexual addiction. Or I was born with this substance addiction. I was born with this same-sex attraction. I was born with this temper, right, this anger. Or I was born with this criminal mind. And the problem here comes down to this, that when we misquote God, we misquote the concept of God and the scripture of God, it has a lot, most often, it has a lot to do with the fact that we don't understand the total picture of the character and the nature of God. Like, we're misquoting scripture because we're not using scripture to interpret scripture. We're using my feelings. We're using my ideas. We're using this thing on the inside of me that's going, oh, this must be truth. And we twist it to justify our actions. And when we only have half of the scripture, I guarantee you we're always going to miss the target. Always. Yeah, we, we, need, we need the whole counsel of God, right? And we could take Psalm 139 and misquote it in the way that uh, we're talking about today and say, well, God just made me and this is the way I am. If we're missing the whole counsel of God, we can miss out. It's like uh, we used to live in Tucson, Arizona, way down south. Uh, near the Mexico border and about 100 miles from Phoenix. And I had family that lived in Phoenix. So one day we took the family and we went up to Phoenix. And Chloe, my youngest, who's 11 now, she's about five or six at that time, we get there and she says, where are we? And I said, well, we are, we are in Phoenix now. So later on that day, she's playing with her cousins. And I hear her arguing with her cousins that we are not in Arizona, we are in Phoenix, right? That was the argument. And like, we, are, we are in Arizona. No, we're not in Arizona. We are in Phoenix. She was insistent, right? She believed her dad. Her dad would never leave her astray. But what she was missing out is that when you're in Phoenix, you are in Arizona, right? She was missing out on the whole truth. And so we can do this, though. This is kind of uh, funny and humorous and innocent for Chloe. We can do this when we stop short where we take a passage of Scripture and we stop short of the whole counsel of God. Not, you know, needless to say, you know, without even saying that we can just say, okay, I don't even care what God's Word says that contradicts it. I'm going to hold on to this and that, that. I'm just not sure, right? I'm not sure about that. And so if we stop short on a passage like this, we will miss out because we conclude God is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He made me. So I must be okay. So we misquote God because we start, I think we start with self mm -hmm. as the source. We stop short of the whole counsel of God. And so if I'm that person who's reading Psalm 139 and, and then determining, hey, then I'm okay. I'm going to stay true to myself. How have I missed out? How have I missed it? Um, well, 
But let's just, let's just come to reality for a second, okay? I want each of you just to be brutally honest with yourself. You've had desires. You've had impulses in your life that were anti-God's word. They were sinful, right? And some things, some of those desires that you had, you're very ashamed of, even though you didn't even act on them. But you've had them. All of us have that. Some of you have had that as recently as just this morning, driving here, or as recent as last night. These impulses, these desires, these, these like temptations that stir inside of our heart that you know, we're, we're tempted to define as truth and then act on them, and then by acting on them, we're allowing them now to define us. We, we all have these. Some of them are godly. Some of them are sinful. And every single day, we have these desires and impulses that we have to wrestle with that are we going to refer to as truth and let them define us and act on them or are we going to you know you know squash them are we going to say no to them are we going to resist them are we going to flee from them like we all have these and we we all we all kind of go through this and what we're actually doing is this now we're from a christian perspective you're saying no to things because you know that they break the, the law of God. From a humanistic perspective, we, we look at these, these things that stir in us that we're wrestling with, whether we're going to define as truth and we're going to call them out. We're going to say, like, oh, I was always this way because I just feel like I've always had this or, or whatever. We're looking at our society. We're looking at our culture and we're trying to determine in our culture, if I were to act out on this impulse, would I still be accepted in my culture or not? Tim Keller, he, he wrote a book, Makes, Making Sense of God. He, he took this example and he put it into, I think, a very vivid word picture. Okay, So follow me on this thought. He said, I want you to picture a British uh, Anglo-Saxon warrior in A.D. 800 who has a couple of different impulses. Okay, has a couple of different things that are stirring in him. He's trying to decide how, what's he going to be known for, how, what's his identity going to be. He has to wrestle through that. So he's in 8,800. I mean, he's the kind of guy who's like got a sword hanging off of him, you know, a dagger, you know, stuck away someplace else. And he lives in this very warrior kind of culture, this, you know, um, shame and honor culture. And if he's disrespected, then this first impulse of aggression comes up inside of him. And he decides that at that moment, I'm going to act out on this aggression because that's the culture in which I live in. So he takes his sword and he chops off the head of the guy who disrespects him what does the community do community goes that was your right like you get to do that right i mean you get you get to respond that way and responding that way is normal in our culture in our society where we live and so he's okay he's like i want to be known as that like i want to be known as the man with aggression and with violence but he has a second impulse a second stirring on the inside of him that he's trying to discern if it's truth and if he's going to be identified by it and it's the same sex attraction in AD 800, you don't have same-sex attraction, right? So he says, I don't want to be that, and he, re he repulses that. And he, he pushes that away, and he goes, that's not me. So he doesn't live that out because his culture wouldn't receive it. But you take that same young man, and you put him in America today in any town, in any community, small or large, and you face that, that young man with those same two impulses, and you're going to find just the opposite response. Right, that I'm disrespected. I can't just whip out, you know, a 44 and just drop somebody. I can't just pull out a sword, you know, and lop something off of the other person. Like that's not accepted anymore, people. Yeah. By the way, 
I, I don't think your mic was on. Sorry, <laughs> they missed out on that. Um, however, he has the same sex attraction, and that stirs in him, and he finally decides to surrender to that as truth and, and act out on that, and that now becomes his new identity. Now he goes, look, my culture would accept me still. And so he says yes to that. And that's kind of where we're at right now. We're at that same spot where whether you're in the church or you're out of the church, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower, there is this misquoting of God's truth that is tempting all of us to say yes to things that would identify us as other than a Christ follower, but we're tempted to say yes to it because our culture is inundating us with this idea that it's okay to be, that, be this way or to act that way or to think this or to behave like that, right? And it's all anti-God's word, but we're very much tempted to do that. And the, part of the reason is because many of us, unfortunately, live in between these two creations of the physical creation where a perfect God created you in his image and a spiritual creation where we're being transformed Right, Not just in the physical image of God, but in the spiritual image of God. And so we get stuck, and humanity is caught in between these two. And when you're caught in between these two, the ability to interpret truth and respond in a biblical worldview capacity is impossible when you're caught between these two. There has to be a move. There has to be a transformation that takes place spiritually. Help us get grasp that. I just threw it out there. Yeah. Grasp these two creations a little better. Yeah, so when we read Psalm 139, it's pretty obvious the psalmist is, at least in part, he's, he's giving praise to God and worship to God for God's physical creation in him. He says, you knit me together in my mother's womb, right? I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He's talking about God's physical creation of him. And yet we can take that and, and then determine, well, God created me physically, therefore who I am what I am. And we miss out on what God also intended. The Bible says before he even laid the earth's foundations, the plan was made that the spiritual creation would happen. It says the lamb was slain. Jesus, the plan for Jesus to go to the, to the cross so that spiritual birth could happen was laid out. So you have the physical creation, then you have when we surrender our life to Jesus as our Lord and leader. He comes in, he puts a new spirit inside of us. Uh, Jesus put it this way, that we must be born again. And there's a transformation that takes place. Second Corinthians says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, which means you've surrendered to him and God has put his spirit, there's been new birth, a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So what has passed away? It's our nature that desires to do everything against the ways of God. And so you have this physical creation. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen, you are. You could even worship God and say, God, you have blessed me. I mean, I see your glory in the way that you created me, my personality, my giftings, my, you know. But then there's the spiritual creation that God wants to do. And so the problem, here's the problem, is when we miss the gap between the physical creation and the spiritual creation. Because why on earth did God need to have a spiritual creation, a second creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because of our sinful nature. Yeah. Because the human heart is desperately wicked. And we can misquote it by stopping short 
and not getting the whole truth, the whole reality that I am lost in my sin, that I can't trust Chris Puccini because in and of myself, my heart is wicked. Though uh, even Paul said it this way, I delight in God's law. I love the Lord, but I know there's a part of me that is in my sinful nature that wants to do everything opposite to the ways of God. And so we can misquote God by stopping short of recognizing I need a savior to do something new, a new creation, a new creation within me. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Yeah. You know, to be wonderfully complex, to be the workmanship of God. Well, I mean, to get the answer to that, you have to then do like what Nate brought to our attention last week when he kicked this series off. You have to interpret scripture with scripture. I mean, meaning you got to tie Scripture together is what, what I mean by that, right? You, you, you can't just take the verse that makes you feel good and just take it out of context and then just go live it. Because if you do that, if you just say, God made me wonderfully, right, all these things, but yet God, God made me then to also live in a, a lifestyle that would be against his word, there's, there's a, like, that doesn't make sense, right? So then you go to verses like Romans 12 too. This is a verse that you would go to to like use scripture, interpreting scripture. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So look, let me just break this down for a minute. God has a will for you, like he has for me, that's good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. That's what he has. How are you ever going to find that? Go back to Psalms 139. The psalmist was saying that, look, you knew me before I was ever born. You knit me together. You put me together in my mother's womb. You ordained the days of my life before I ever even started one. That's the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Like, he already has that. How do you find it? Right? First is this. You have to acknowledge that there is a behavior and a custom of this world that's opposite of God. So here's the truth. The truth is, why would that ever be mentioned, that there's a behavior and custom of this world, if there wasn't a behavior and custom of God, right, and his word? So instantaneously, one of these two has to be false, and the other one has to be true. One of them has to be healthy and life-giving, the other one has to be destructive. What does that look like? We're going to look at that in just a minute. So first, got to come to the conclusion, okay, yes, there is right, there is wrong, there is a truth, and it's not just what I conjure up on the inside of me. There's a truth that's beyond just what my thoughts are. It's being dictated by God. It was established before the earth even formed, before man walked on the earth, before Jesus gave his life on the cross. There was a truth. It's been there since the beginning. It's here now. It'll be there at the end. It's never changing. It's the, it's the authenticity of Christ and conforming to him versus just living out my truth. So there is, that, there is that. Secondly, though, that we have to be, like what he says here, we have to be transformed into a new person. This is the work that you were talking about with that, that, that spiritual creation, being transformed. Like, I'm not the way I was. I don't, I, I don't behave the way I was. I don't think the way I was. And look, this is so interesting. God's going to transform you into this new person, into this new, this new creation. And look what he says. By changing the way you, what does he say? think. How did this whole sermon start? The problem is I think that something is true, therefore I act on it and allow it to define me, but it ends up being opposite of God's word. So what's God doing here? He's going, look, 
Be careful. Don't trust yourself. Yourself will lead you into a world of hurt, right? But let me transform the way you think. Let me get you onto my page. And if you live on my page, then man, some incredible things can happen. But what does it look like, Chris? Because the Bible helps us understand that there is this, this customs and behavior of the world. And if there's a custom and behavior of the world, then the opposite of that would be the customs and behavior of God. So help us understand what that is in Galatians 5. Yeah, because Galatians 5 actually gives us a list. How many like lists? Right, you love lists. All right, Galatians 5 gives us a list. I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but look what it says. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And then watch this. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it gives some behavior, some events that happen when we act out on, a, on an impulse. And then he says, when that becomes a pattern in your life where you willfully continue to sin, as Hebrews says, then we are not living the new creation. In fact, we've, we've walked away or we've never, maybe never experienced the saving grace of God. You see, this is a list of things that are not found in God's kingdom. They're not found in the heart of God. They're not found in the intent of God for you. And so, so we could, then we can react to this and we can say, well, that, this is my desire. God created me this way. How dare you, God, create me with this desire, whatever it might be, and become angry and, 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 and rebel against God and say, you know what? I knew it. God in church, God just wants to take away my fun. And we don't realize that God didn't come to take away our fun. He came to take away our pain that sin and living apart from his plan causes. So it's not about, here's the deal, here's the big idea today. It's not about being true to me, to Chris Puccini. It's about being transformed. Because if I'm true to myself, I'm lost, I'm desperately wicked, I wanna rebel against God. So it's not about being true to myself, but being conformed and transformed into the image of Christ. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. I want to bring us, at the end of this message now, I want to bring us right back to the beginning. We would never have had a problem in misquoting or, you know, not understanding the heart of God in Psalms 139 if we just would have kept reading. But we stopped. You know, we stopped, like a lot of us do. We come across something, it justifies our actions, therefore we stop. But when you continue to read God's word, God's word starts to unfold the truth and the life behind it. Yeah. I want to take you right back to Psalms 139. I want us to read these last two verses out of Psalms 139. He says this, in light of all these things you created me, right? In light of all that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Can I just encourage you today? The psalmist gives a great example to us of how we should live our life before God. That we should never live our life thinking that we're so prideful that we know ourselves so well. God, you don't know yourself as well as you think you know yourself. There's behaviors, 
and actions. There are things in my life personally that are blind spots for me that I don't even see. There are things that are in my life that I act out on that could be on a Galatians 5 list that I've justified and said, it's okay. It's all right. It's not that bad. I don't know myself as well as God knows me. And the psalmist models for us the response we really should have in this age of authenticity in which we live in, this this tension between the biblical view of how we should live our lives and this secular view of what's telling me that I should be able to do anything that I decide is truth and I should live it no matter what anybody thinks and everybody should just accept me the way I am, that we should humble ourselves and we should say to the Lord, is there anything in me that offends you? Because if there's something in me that offends you, I want to repent of it. That's how we should come to God today. We should come to him today, not with all the answers, not with the frustration of a message that stepped on your toes or it, it kind of got into your, you know, your private space or it, it challenged your ability to love someone else or whatever it did today. And instead of, instead of you know, stiff arming, right? That's another reason why I don't like football. Don't stiff arm the gospel, right? Check it, right? <laughs> Don't push it away. Come near to God and just open your heart up and say, Lord, I know I'm not perfect. Show me what offends you, then I'll repent of it. See, repentance is this. It's not just admitting I'm wrong. It's turning 180 degrees and heading the opposite direction from this so-called truth that you were living. Turn the 180 degrees, lay it down, give your life to Christ and let him start being the Lord and leader of that area or of the total picture called you, no matter what it takes, no matter where you're at. That's the heart that we should have. And when we have that heart, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit now can bring truth to us, real truth that's found in God's word. And we can start living our life by it. And he can convict us of things that we've called truth that are really lies, that are leading us astray. And in the end, it leads to death and separation from Christ. So let's respond to God with that heart, the heart of the psalmist, as he wraps it up. Find find those offensive ways in me, Lord, and let your truth reign and rule in me. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Jesus, your word brings life. It might step on our toes, but it brings life. It, um, It might take us some time to digest it, but it brings life. Today, Lord, we, we talked about um, some challenging stuff. We talked about some very cultural relevant uh, issues. We talked about some things that we could go home, uh, flip on the TV. We could hear people saying some of these statements uh, about our society and our culture. And, you know, it's being portrayed in movies and in um, all in music and in all types of forms of media. We're just being inundated with it, Lord. And we don't want to be caught... Uh, caught unready. We don't want to be finding ourselves drifting to a secular worldview of truth and abandoning a biblical worldview of truth. We don't want to find ourselves there. I don't think anybody here actually wants that for their life. If they truly knew your grace and your mercy, the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that truth could prevail in my life and set me free. Lord, I pray for this congregation in Jesus' name that those who are daring enough 
to present themselves before you today and say to you, Lord, show me where my life is being lived, where my belief system is being you know, processed. Show me where I'm offending you. Those who are daring enough to do that, Lord, I pray you would speak to them, speak to them clearly so that we as a people could humble ourselves before a, a compassionate, merciful, grace-filled God. Find freedom from the lies that an enemy is trying to cause us to believe. I pray this for this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.